0: Howdy friends, this is Annie Fonte, and you are listening to the Badass Soul Seeking Warrior podcast. On each episode, I chat with a different guest and ask them to share their stories about what they were doing before they decided to redesign their life, what they're doing now, and how they navigated through the challenges and events in their life to get to where they are today. What realizations and transformations did they experience? What fears did they overcome? And ultimately, how did they create a life that they love? Hi, folks. My guest today is Peter Kozadoy. He is an Inc. 5000 serial entrepreneur, TEDx speaker, and business coach who works with organizations and their leaders to help them overcome self-limiting bullshit and use brutal honesty to achieve massive success. But it didn't start out that way. When Peter was 17, he was an Olympic hopeful figure skater who was sure that he would achieve his childhood dream of attending Harvard University. But guess what? By the age of 18, he had missed both the Olympics and Harvard and found life spiraling out of control until he finally discovered the power of brutal honesty, particularly when it comes to being honest with yourself. Peter is the author of the soon-to-be-released book, Honest to Greatness. He holds a degree in economics from Brandeis University and an MBA from Columbia Business School. Peter, welcome to the show today. Thanks so much for carving out some time. I know this must be a very busy time for you with this book getting ready to launch.
1: Oh, it's no problem. It's great to be here, Annie. Thanks for having me.
0: Great, so um, it looks like your book, Honest to Greatness, will be available on August 11th. So let's talk about the book for a little bit here. Can you give us a high level view of your book and what, what inspired you to write it?
1: For sure, so it, I built uh, my first company, a video production agency out of college when I was 22, and I started it with my business partner. And we, you know, seven pivots and, and many failures later, uh, turned into a full service communications agency. And we worked with startups to Fortune 500s and even Warren Buffett himself. And I was shocked and amazed over the years by the, the variation in clients we had, big and small. Some Annie we'd come into and we'd give them all the love and attention and care and strategy in the world. And they would just crush it. I mean, they'd get a five, six times ROI, stay with us for years. It was awesome. Others, we gave the exact same love, care, and attention and strategy to, and they would just blow up on the launch pad. They could not get out of their own way. They would descend into infighting and politics and bullshit, right? At the time, I chalked it up to stupidity, you know, mid, mid to late 20s me, was like, wow, what a bunch of dum-dums these executives are. Of course, that was my own stupidity, you know, no one who <laughs> rises through the ranks to become an executive is an idiot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what I eventually ended up learning through my own crisis of honesty at thirty, and I'm sure we'll get into that, uh, is it's not idiocy; it's dishonesty. Um, and once I saw it through that lens, I began to see it everywhere. And I and I see it in all the case studies and interviews uh, of incredible CEOs that I profile in my book. You know, helping uh, and so now I've developed this sort of um, you know passion for helping organizations realize that when they are fundamentally dishonest. And I don't mean in the way like they're outright lying to people for personal gain. I mean, they've stuck their head in the sand about some sort of massive consumer trend that's shifting, or they're being dishonest with themselves about what the people around them are saying, whether that's their customers or vendors or suppliers or fellow executives, or they're lying to themselves about their own biases and self-limiting beliefs and ego that has entered into uh, the organization's strategy where it has no business being. You know, the, the organizations who get unstuck. Who move forward? The the Ritz-Carltons, the Quicken Loans, the Bridgewater Associates—all these massive, you know, profitable and industry-dominating organizations—they've done the opposite. They've gotten brutally honest on those levels, and in turn, just used strategic honesty to crush and dominate their competitors.
0: And I think so much of what you said really does translate over to our personal endeavor as we go through life. So you said it in your your uh, conversation you just had with us you experienced your own crisis at 30. Tell us about that because this whole podcast, the reason I do it is to give people tools and valuable information so they can create a life that they love. So talk us through your 30 year old crisis. What did you learn and how did you pivot or navigate through that to create this life that you currently have working with businesses and obviously a beautiful life for your, your family? Well, First of all, I don't know how people survive this, by the way,
1: I'm like, I don't know if this has happened to you, this, this turning 30 thing, but I was like, <laughs> le- out of left field, like Mack truck, terrible, right? I don't know how this happens. So I was doing, as an aside, I was doing a keynote presentation once to a business group, and this sprightly older woman uh, in the front row pops up and says, I've turned 30 twice. And I said, well, I don't know how you did it, because I barely got through it the first time. Uh, right. Very impressive. So anyway, um, you know, what, what happened was, I, we had realized as an organization, Um, that we needed to help other organizations, our clients, become more honest, right? And we did a tremendous amount of work in focus groups and uh, interviews with executives and helping them realize the truth about where they were and where they needed to go as part of our entire marketing communications campaign. Ironically, Annie, it took me turning 30 and realizing that I had been dishonest with myself to really have this whole honesty thing coalesce and click into place and understand how it influences not only us professionally, but also us personally. What happened is I realized that the two massive uh, failures that I had experienced as a teenager that that you described, it became clear I was not going to make the Olympics as a figure skater. Uh, You know, Harvard sent me a nice letter back from my application saying, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, Don't call us. We'll call you. And you know, I, I realized after. 30 that I had been carrying those two big failures. And on the one hand, it had fueled my entrepreneurial endeavor, you know, as chips on my shoulder. But on the other hand, I had assumed a sort of second best scenario for myself. I was so sure about that track and those goals, and that's what success meant that when I missed it, I was like, well, I guess I'm never going to have, you know, the big time success. So I guess I'll, I'll settle. Right. After that moment, that I call it my, my own crisis of honesty, I achieved more. In the next year than I had in the ten years prior, um, you know I, that's when I finally confronted that you know I'm a writer I'm an author right? I have a book in me that's who I am. Um, we we started shifting our clients, shifting our business model. I mean we tore everything down. We you know by thirty mind you I mean we, we had a million dollar marketing agency we we were expanding nationwide and into Canada. I mean life looked good right but uh, happiness doesn't work that way. So you know only through realizing what what the ideal scenario looked like for me and and being honest about that right and identifying where my own self-limiting bullshit had, had covered up these goals um was i able to move forward you know did a ted talk went back to get an mba at columbia turns out i was a total dumbass right million dollar company owner uh no idea, like how to even spell financial statement, never mind read it. <laughs> that was an incredible experience that, that I'm so glad I did because you know, the, all of those things gave me more fuel, more case studies, more information, more experience to in turn help clients even better. You know, we, we ended up in the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies for a couple of years in a row. So, you know, it turns out that when we're honest with ourselves about who we are, what we want, and what it takes to get there. It's quite possible to rapidly achieve a shit ton of things in life. Um, And what I find now working with other entrepreneurs, helping them build a seven and eight figure business, so often their business problems, 99% of the time, are simply personal problems in disguise, you know,
0: the BS that we all
1: pile on ourselves.
0: I so agree with you. And I've always said it's not until we're willing to tell the truth about life, particularly our life, that we are going to... Release ourselves to evolve to who we, our highest potential and who we ha- we're capable of being. So I, I'm really glad that you shared that with me and our audience today, and I hope the audience really embraces the fact that we're only one decision away from changing our life forever. Yes. If willing to be vulnerable number one, and be brutally honest, number two. So let's get back to your book. Walk us through your favorite chapter, and what about this particular chapter would make it one of your favorites?
1: Oh gosh. It's like asking me which one of my kids is my favorite. I'm not supposed (laughs) to say, right? Everyone knows, but nobody will admit it. No, I'm kidding. Um, gosh, what a great question. I've I've not been asked that in all these, these interviews, I'm going to start with the very first one, uh, in part two, which is the story of Charlotte McCourt, who at the time was an 11 year old girl scout that simply wanted to sell a crap ton of girl scout cookies. Right? Seems simple enough. Now, for some reason, this 11-year-old had become disillusioned with our consumer-driven society, believe it or not. Uh, She was a riot to interview um, because she basically said, you know, I was sick and tired of all these things that are advertised on TV and we end up getting some and they don't work as advertised and it pissed me off, right? I'm paraphrasing, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, But so fascinated that even an 11-year-old girl is perceptive enough to realize that, right? This shows, by the way, Annie, how pervasive dishonesty is in our society and sort of one of the things I'm most proud of with this book and what I'm, what I'm hoping we kind of awaken as ourselves as a culture. So instead of just calling around and saying, uh, hey, you know, folks, who wants to buy Girl Scout cookies? I'm a Girl Scout. This is what we do. Uh, the, being a the little capitalist that she is, she asks uh, her father for an introduction to his wealthy venture capitalist friend, uh, considering, you know, he probably has the most money and buy the most cookies. Seems logical. Uh, so she writes this gentleman a letter that gives a rundown, an extremely honest review of every single type of cookie that the Girl Scouts offer. Because, as she writes in the letter, sometimes the Girl Scouts can use false advertisements. So she wants to make sure she doesn't go, uh, you know. By the way, the Girl Scouts declined to comment on the chapter of the story <laughs> and the book, which I found uh, interesting. So, uh, so she writes this letter calling some of these flavors a gluten free wasteland and as flavorless as dirt. And she says, listen, uh, the reason I'm, I'm giving you all these honest reviews is because I actually want you to buy even more cookies than for yourself. I want you to buy some for troops overseas. I'm going to ship them over to the military because they get a little taste of home and that's awesome, right? little bit of altruism there. Um, and so she figures, what if they're my end-to-end customers, I want them only to receive the best cookies, right? Not the ones that are flavorless as dirt. The power of honesty, Annie, is such that she could have just said, hey, buy some cookies. But because she was so brutally honest, he was a venture capitalist. He instantly recognizes, hey, if my portfolio of business owners were this honest, they'd probably sell a lot more, right? right. Masterful sales technique. So what does he do? He ends up sharing it. And sharing it widely. So then Charlotte's father, again, sharing it, it ends up on Mike Rowe's desk, right? The host of Dirty Jobs. He shares it with his 10 million followers uh, in a a YouTube video about honesty and advertising because it turns out the reason Mike Rowe uh, is so passionate about his type of work is he's all about honesty in the entertainment business. And he's been, he himself has been disillusioned by the amount of bullshit in that industry. Um, This is sort of pervasive universal thing going on, sadly. So once that gets picked up, Charlotte ends up on national news programs, radio programs. I mean, it blows the doors off, sells 30,000 boxes of Girl Scout cookies. It crashes her website, right? And the reason I like this story and I tell it first is because it is universal. An 11-year-old can use this. And I want everyone to think about the opportunity cost of not being brutally honest because, again, if she's not honest, she misses the opportunity to do, to do something much bigger, much more effective, and much more impactful than just sell Girl Scout cookies. She gets to change a national conversation, right? Yeah. And that's the opportunity we have at hand with brutal honesty.
0: Brilliant, brilliant for an 11 year old. And, and I've often said, and I, I truly believe, it's my number one line in the sand for the, the way I live my life is authenticity. And what I hear underlying all of what you just said is our willingness to be authentic, to be who we truly are, whether it's a person or a company, an organization, a product on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and whatever other social media. I think, unfortunately, social media has allowed people to be something they're not there's a lot of good that comes from it and there's a lot of ways we can use it as a vehicle for good. And I certainly appreciate that. But what I hear you saying is it's so important to be willing to be authentic. So that's my, that's kind of my take, but if readers could take one thing from your book, what would it be? I want people
1: to understand how much honesty and dishonesty plays into their lives. I don't think we think about it all that, all that often, but, you know, I tell stories in the book dating back to ancient Egypt, you know, showing how at some point we humans decided to commingle the idea of money and morality. And we gave ourselves outs when it came to the types of behaviors we agree outwardly are correct and right. Like, just be honest, honesty is the best policy. We learned this as four year olds. And then we, we, a lot of us have spent our adulthoods perverting that. And I don't mean us as you and me, I mean us as, you know, a culture, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I tell the story of how in ancient Rome, you know, when they had to rebuild, the Catholics had to rebuild uh, the church of St. Peter, they decided to give indulgences, which basically said, if you give us a little bit of money, we'll pardon all your sins, no matter yeah. what you've done. You know, it, like things like this, right? And as we hear it, we're like, oh yeah, we do that, don't we? We humans. Um, to your point about authenticity and in, in social media, the time for that has passed because now we we know we have too much information now. Everyone has a smartphone. You think of the murder of George Floyd that occurred. The reason that was such a big deal is because we all saw it with our own eyes. Yes. Everyone has a smartphone. Someone somewhere is recording what's going on. And in a world like that, it doesn't pay to do anything but be honest or transparent. So I just want folks to be a lot more thoughtful about what's going on in the world in terms of honesty, and then bringing it back to the personal, how their own lies, even the little ones they tell themselves, even the ones that seem innocuous or even helpful, really damage us. They really hurt our chances and they limit the, the opportunities that are in front of us if we were just willing to have the moment you described of clarity and being able to move forward in a, in a big impactful way. It's there, but we have, to make, we have to have the awareness and then make the decision.
0: Yeah, and I think it's been my observation that once a person or an organization takes that first step into the really bad downward spiraling world of dishonesty, it's, that's hard to recover from because you have to remember what you said or what is, did I tell that person or that client or that customer? And you you just can't keep up with yourself when you do that. So I think you also talk about, was it, um, Domino's pizza this mm-hmm. you have a story about Domino's pizza and the guy basically mm-hmm. said I have the crappiest pizza on the earth but you should still buy it anyway and here's why
1: <laughs> And that's you know um, as you're as you're talking I want folks out there struggling like you know when do I tell the truth and when don't I because listen th- this is a book about honesty but I do not mean just blurt out the truth all the time. That's one facet of honesty that needs to be used very carefully. In fact, one of the CEOs makes a point that if you're flying in an airplane and the pilots come over the intercom and they say, well folks, uh, never seen storm clouds like that ahead. Uh, Please put your seatbelts on. Not quite sure if we're gonna get through this. It's brutally honest, but it's not helpful, right? Right. So there are times when when honesty does not mean just be candid. And it's up to us to know how, but as a technique we can use that that I'll use as an entry into dominoes, we can not only be honest, but point to honesty saying, Hey folks, it's hard for me to be honest about this, but you deserve the truth. Mm -hmm. And when you say that folks take a deep breath and they go, Oh, I see what this person's doing. We're not going to go like, Oh, well, screw you. Can't believe you were honest with me. Nobody says that. Right. I'm going to say what? Oh, I appreciate you being honest. Thank you. That's yeah. what we do, right? And so I want organizations to remember that. And Domino's Pizza is one organization that remembered that. And back in 2008, 2009, they figured out they had a problem, which is their customers were telling them, hey, your pizza's not that good. In fact, Domino's even put their pizza in the boxes of their competitors and said, try this. What do you think of this? And people said, oh, actually, that's a little better. Same <laughs> pizza, different box, right? So they don't just have a pizza problem. They have a brand problem. Right. Now, they could have just, you know, added better tomatoes and said, oh, come try it now, it's a little better. And run an ad campaign and, you know, maybe their stock could have been up a percentage point. But They didn't do that. In 2010, their brand new CEO, J. Patrick Doyle, went on national television to take a sledgehammer to his product and say, hey folks, turns out our pizza is terrible and we're sorry and you deserve better. And by the way, we're gonna fix it. And he didn't just say that, he invited the cameras in to film their meetings and talk about how are we gonna improve the pizza and what are we gonna do with it and here's here's our plan. They brought the cameras out to their customers and filmed them trying the new pizza for the first time. What do you think? Is it good? They put all that on YouTube. We could all see that this organization was being honest about what was going on with their customers, was honest about what they needed to change and then went and did it, right? If you had recognized that, Annie, back in 2010 and bought Domino's Pizza stock, you would have had an over 3000% return over the next 10 years, 3,000%. What a millionaire just. And by the way, the key strategy here was telling America that our product is terrible. Yeah. That was the strategy, right? Yeah. But it works because this is how we function interpersonally. If I do something wrong to you, I'm not going to say like, I'm not going to sweep it under the rug and pretend it doesn't exist. I mean, I might, but I'd be a pretty shitty human. Instead. I'm going to say, you know what, Annie, I'm sorry. I suck. This is terrible. You deserve better. Uh, here's what I'm going to do to fix it. And you know, I'm really sorry right? And now we can repair our relationship. It's that simple.
0: Yeah. I think that people are starving for that level of just raw transparency. And when they see others doing it, whether it's a person or an organization, it gives them permission to step into that place of transparency and honesty as well. And I think if we continue to do that as a society and with the the things you talk about in your book here, then we'll start that there's a stacking or a layering effect to that. Then transparency becomes more of a thing. That's the right, not only the right thing to do, but it's kind of the, the cool thing to do. And
1: it's the profitable thing to do. And it yeah. is across all of the CEOs and companies I profile.
0: Right. Exactly. Let me ask you who or what's been the most influential thing or person in your life and how, how did this person or thing influence you? <sighs>
1: That's so tough because I, you know, a lot of times with these questions, right, because I do a lot of these shows, it's like, what's the one thing that's, you know, made you successful? And unfortunately, it forces me to look back and pick one thing. Right. What I want folks out there listening to understand is that there's an incredible amount of luck that factors into any quote unquote successful person. By the way, I don't consider myself particularly successful. I got a lot more to do. Trust me. Um, But The reason I say that is because so often I see entrepreneurs I work with running after like the one thing, like, well, this is the one thing somebody said I have to do, so I have to do that. I'm like, wait a second, like that person also met the right person at the right time and their great aunts, dogs, nephews, mother was the CEO of a fortune 500 company and that gave them their first, like there's just a lot of connectivity and luck that plays into this, let's be honest. And I want folks out there to realize that. That said, I'll tell you the, the decision that I made that's been the most impactful, which was joining a forum of entrepreneurs. Uh, I did that at 30. That helped me back to your, your one word you said at the beginning, which I love, be much more vulnerable. Vulnerability and honesty go hand in hand. Yeah. And until I, was, uh, until I had to learn how to be vulnerable with others uh, and speak aloud the things I was really thinking in the back of my mind, that was so powerful for me, so powerful. Um, and even just learning how to absorb the stories of other people without judgment right. or without trying to interject my own crap as they're talking. I mean, I've revised the entire way I speak to be more honest. I mean, you'll never hear me say the words, you should right. or give that kind of advice. Why? Because I don't know you. I, I'm not in your shoes, but I can tell you an experience from my past that maybe will help you. That's, in my mind, the removal of, of ego. And, the, and being much more honest about ourselves and about the others around us, what they, how they think, what they need. And that's why, Annie, I now run forums for other entrepreneurs, uh, for startup entrepreneurs up to $5 million. We meet, we're meeting tonight, actually. Um, once a month on Zoom, 100% confidentiality. And the whole idea is to vulnerably, openly, and honestly report what's really, really, really going on in our business's personal life and family life. Because without getting over that, we can't move forward.
0: Yeah, I I so appreciate you bringing that up and I I invite our audience to really take into consideration looking into the forums that you do or creating I I have a couple mastermind groups that I'm a part of mm-hmm. and it's so refreshing to sit in a room with anywhere from 4 to I think if it gets too big it gets a little you know thinned out but 4 to 6 people in my experience because What they're saying in their vulnerability is probably may not be the exact same thing that I've experienced, but I can certainly relate to it. And there's a there's a certain amount of relief when you hear someone else say it. So Mm -hmm. it it makes you feel like, okay, I'm not the only one in the room who feels like X, whatever that is. And I think it also creates a support structure when you're willing to be vulnerable, which I think is like a, a superpower then um, it allows others not only to learn from you but to support you in accomplishing these really clear things that you identify that you want to become.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: So I'm curious because I just uh, published my uh, book last October. I'm curious for you, um, how long did it take for you to write your book? I, I mean, when, from the time you had this idea, because you said back, um, when you were being honest with yourself at, during this crisis at 30 that you had a book in you, how long did it take for you to come up with, I, I, I know I'm an author, I want to write this book, to finally writing the book, and what helped you most to get your book written?
1: It took four long, arduous four years. Um, And originally, I mean, you know, the great thing about writing a book about honesty is I get to be honest, right? Um, I never set out, Annie, honestly, to write about, speak about, or frankly, even care about honesty. This wasn't the first thing. I mean, all this sort of coalesced around the events that that we've been talking about so far. What happened is I wrote a book about marketing because I was sick and tired of the type of clients I described that just couldn't get out of their own way. And, uh, you know, my whole point was, hey, if we're going to communicate it has to be openly, honestly, in this world we now live in. So I queried 400 literary agents. I knew I, did, I, knew I didn't want to self-publish. I knew I wanted to, to do it you know, with a publisher. Queried 400 literary agents, many of whom got back to me and said, never email me again. This is a terrible idea. You're never going to be a published author, blah, blah, blah. Right? I'm an entrepreneur. I'm used to know, so fine. Three of them got back to me and took a meeting, and one of them signed me. And as soon as he signed me, he said, oh, this is great, Peter. But by the way, this isn't a book about marketing. It's a book about honesty. And I was like, well, clearly you're a literary agent who can't read because it doesn't, it says marketing right on the front cover. So don't know what the hell you're talking about. Um, And I I go home and of course I'm flipping through it. And, you know, again, stupid Peter. I'm like, damn, he's absolutely right. This is a book that's much bigger than just marketing. It transcends everything, culture, leadership, uh, management, everything. So um, that really helped me hone this. And the, the next huge step after, of course, getting a publisher was going through the editing process. I had a wonderful editor. I put together what I thought was a great book and I submit it and she took like two weeks with it and turned it back. And I was like, wow, this must be pretty spot on. She's like, hey, Peter, this is great. I only need you to uh, rewrite like uh, chapters two through 13. There are only 14 <laughs> chapters in the whole damn book. So I was like, okay, well, great. This is a massive failure. Awesome. Um, that was the first of a couple uh, rewrites. And it it's so helpful to get it into someone else's, you know, because think about it, a book is a, is a compilation. It's a stack of paper that represents everything in a brain, right? Well, our brains aren't exactly logical and linear. If they were, we'd have a lot less conflict in the world. So just taking someone, I call it, on the curve of simplicity on the far side of complexity requires that we have someone else help us go all the way back to the beginning and walk readers through, from the beginning, what is honesty, why is it important, how does it play into our lives? What does it look like? How do we use it? You know, just a very logical, sequential way so we can come back to the simplicity of it all and not all the synapses that are firing random directions in our brains. So that process was extremely helpful. And I remember Annie reading back drafts as they'd come back and I would just sit there and be like, what moron wrote this? I mean, this is just drivel. Like what <laughs> kind of stupid writer am I? Like, oh, awful, right? Self-vitriol, but... um, I have to say, I am proud of the way it came out and it could have never gotten there without the help of uh, my many editors.
0: Right, I so appreciate that because I put my hands in the book of several people before it actually became this, you know, these words between the shiny cover. And I had many of the same responses from early readers. And as a matter of fact, two of my friends said, you're not even close to this book being done yet. And I, I was certain I was done. And those, those are those great learning moments. I mean, what you just said, look at the lessons that you just went over with us. You put out 400 inquiries to people. Yep. A lot of people said, go pound sand. And three people did get back to you and you got one meeting. I mean, that, for, your, for our listeners, really, I really want them to get this because you're going to get a lot of no's in yep. life. And I, in my mind, when someone says no, it either means they're really, really not interested, which is fine. I get that. I'm an entrepreneur as well. Or they just don't understand my question yet. I have to rephrase my question to get them to understand it. So they say yes. So that yeah. that uh, lesson is beautiful. I'm glad you shared it. And then the other thing is that you had to really step back and be open to coaching from others. You're you're editor or your um, publisher said, this book isn't about marketing. This is about being honest. And you were like, wait a minute. (laughs) Right? And then your editor said, I need you to rewrite chapters two through 13. Uh, What? So you were open to that. And that's what it ultimately brought this book to be. And I'm sure it'll be a great success. So thanks for sharing that with us.
1: No, no problem. What I've learned is that you write the book and the book writes you. Mm -hmm. and you change the book and the book changes you. I mean, it really has, because listen, if you you knew uh, 16, 17, 24 year old Peter, like I was voted most likely to continue being a jerk through life. Like for me to talk about honesty and transparency and vulnerability will shock the hell out of everyone who knew, you know, egotistical, uh, I know everything me. So in a way I had to allow the book to change me in the best of ways to become someone who even, speaks about writes about and cares about honesty that in itself was a transition i had to make in my own identity and to your point about openness that's in part what honesty means it is being open-minded willing to admit fault ready to change all of these things that allow us to move forward and innovate and achieve results whether that's professionally or personally
0: yeah i'm curious about um is there anything that you wish you would have known before starting to write your book Um, you know, I,
1: I don't, I don't think so because the journey has been so fascinating. I love learning. I'm a lifelong learner. I'm all about, I want to accumulate as many experiences as possible. Like if you read my bio, it's like someone with ADHD. Uh, who has like an ambition injection every day. And it's because like, I'm just fascinated by, by like learning new stuff and then getting to the, pin, the top of that. Like, how do I get to the top of that mountain? How do I get to the top of that mountain? Um, so I wouldn't shortchange myself that experience and discovery. I've learned things that I knew in the back of my mind, but now I understand are really true. Like the book's kind of like having a child. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to come out and be remedial or if it's going to be the valedictorian. I have no idea. It could be either. And I don't have a tremendous amount of control over that. Like yeah. I've parented it. I'm going to birth it into the world. And now it's going to do what it's going to do. So that's been something I've had to internalize. Another thing I've realized is whether the first book is a flop or not, uh, two things. A, I'm going to live, right? No one's going to come kill me in the middle of the night. It's going to be fine. Uh, and B, there's always more books to write. and after talking to a lot of authors, and I talked to one the other day that's like, yeah, I sold 1,000 books my first year, and it was pretty much a failure, and I wanted to die. And 10 years later, in this past year, I sold 800,000 copies.
0: Yep, exactly. So
1: it's a long-term thing, and no one knows how it's going to go. So I've just learned to kind of like step back and worry less, um, right. and just, if this is who I am, and I'm an author, and I put it out into the world, that's actually all I can control. So end, stop, period, no more. The yeah. Rest is and- gonna-
0: I I, I so agree with that and another one of my tenets for how I live my life is to view every experience as a gift and you can certainly do that. when you were 17, you didn't get accepted into Harvard, you didn't get into the Olympics, but that was a pivotal point in your life. Totally. Now you're you're writing this book and w- as a result, who knows what who knows how people are going to embrace it or not Does't really matter. I think the thing that matters most is you said you were going to do it and you did it no matter what. So you, you kept your promise to yourself and that's all about this honesty thing that we're, we're talking about today. I think it's so easy for people to say they're going to do something and then they excuse themselves out of it. And where does that get us, right? All the
1: time, all the time.
0: So speaking of those things, what, what does success mean to you?
1: You know, what I've learned <laughs> um, because I used to think, let me take you back. You asked me at 28, what does success look like? It looks like a lot of employees and a lot of offices and clients around the world. Well, I had a lot of employees and a lot of offices and clients around the world. And guess how happy I was, Annie?
0: Not exactly.
1: <laughs> Turns out I much prefer to uh, sit uh, in my house, not put on pants in the morning, and work from my laptop and have nobody bother me. That's how I actually love to work, right? Yep. I want to be, got to be honest, right? So we actually had another gift in disguise. Um, we had a client, who did it, so this is after we had built up to the offices and of employees and that, we had a client doing a million dollars a year with us, uh, dropped the account. So overnight, lose a million dollars in revenue. And we had to do our first layoff. Mm-hmm. That was so damaging, so painful, took so many years to get over. By the way, that's what taught me oh, I don't even like managing 30 something people across four offices. And like, I don't even like that. So, You know, again, these gifts in disguise that we don't even see um, has made me a lot more receptive to, okay, what's this trying to teach me and and how is this going to put me back into what I call honest alignment with who I really am and what I really want. So now my team is much, much smaller, by the way, more profitable than ever. This whole COVID-19 thing, not a big deal at all because we had made so many structural changes that we were actually prepared for this. Now, I didn't know that, right? Better to be lucky than good. But right. we have all these events that happen to us that that if we look at them in the right way, and we get honest with ourselves, can actually prepare us to be successful into the future if we're willing to be open-minded and ready for change and uh, you know, to, to be honest about what's coming at us.
0: Yeah, I've always said, life doesn't happen to us, it happens for us. Totally. And it's it's difficult when you're kind of in the middle of the storm to, <laughs> really think that you want to embrace that as fact, but it, it really is true, and i think I think the timing of your book is just impeccable because I hope so we 're in this situation right now that's totally unexpected for the most part, most of us didn't have appropriate plans in place to go through this worldwide timeout that we 're experiencing, but I think it's, it's given people the time, and whether, however they've used their time has certainly been up to them, but I, I'm, I'm thinking that if one has been reflective enough and honest enough with themselves, they've had the time to really think through, what do, you want my, what do I want my life to be about? What do I want my company to be about moving forward? What do I want my family to be about moving forward? Those kinds of things, and I'm guessing that in your book, you have a lot of beautiful examples and interviews you've done with people and tips and suggestions that people can use to really um kind of hone in on what they want the rest of their life to be like
1: absolutely i bring it so through the book i literally divide it into three parts first part is you know what the hell is going on in our world Uh, obviously you and i both know we don't live in a particularly honest world right now Mm -hmm. and you know i talk about how from ancient egypt up to now you know what's changed and why is this important going forward Then I go through what does honesty look like in organizations like Quicken Loans and Domino's Pizza and the Ritz-Carlton and the largest hedge fund in the world and Sprint and Berkshire Hathaway and all these organizations and interviews. Um, And then in part three, I go through if you are a leader, CEO, an entrepreneur, a middle manager, a frontline employee, how do you use this tactically? What are the, the actual techniques, the steps you can take? to start to make massive changes in your business and your life no matter you know, what, what level you are at uh, in an organization because it's, it's hugely powerful. And even you know, organization aside, you and I have been mostly talking about how do you change your life um, by using honesty? And it's, it, it, what, what is killing me is why do we even have to talk about honesty as adults in yeah. 2020? We should all know better. And I think that that's the wake-up call that I want folks to have, is that we actually all got armed with a bazooka when we were four years old, and most of us have set it down and ignored it. And it's time to pick that weapon back up and use it to change our lives.
0: Yeah, and, and I know we have talked more about the personal side of it, but I think it has to start there. The per, once we get ourselves sorted out, then we can step into and hold space for not only ourselves, but others. Agreed. Meaning our companies, our organizations that we're affiliated with, whatever it is we do for a vocation, to be really honest in that environment, too. And so those two coalesce and can create powerful things for not only ourselves personally, personally, but the impact and the contribution we can make on individuals and companies and organizations throughout the whole world.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Speaking of that, who do you want to become?
1: <laughs> well, me, um, but I will say actually, I do have an idol who has set his life up in the way that I would love to, and that's Marcus Lemonis. Do you know who that is? I don't. Tell us about Marcus. He's he has TV, Well, he had a TV show. I don't know if he's still filming. It called The Prophet on CNBC.
0: Oh, okay. I, and I he, do know who you're
1: talking about. Yeah, he goes around, and he, he uh, takes up a, an equity stake in, in a portfolio of private, you know, smaller companies and doing low millions um, to help them grow. It's sort of like a grassroots private equity. I'm just this year starting to take my first steps into building out a portfolio like that. Um, and I just, that to me combines all the things I love. Business, startups, uh, coaching and consulting, um, and I, you know, again, I have like entrepreneurial ADHD. I love to have my fingers in a bunch of pies. Shark Tank would hate me because I don't focus <laughs> on one venture at a time. I actually think that what happens is that's in conflict with my lifelong learning value, right? Mate. I want to do a bunch of stuff uh, and be the Renaissance man. That's who I am. So at least I'm willing to be honest about it. And, and I have to say, if anything, my ventures into, I mean, now I'm in tech, I'm in real estate, I'm in all this other stuff. I, I've been overwhelmed and overjoyed to be able to take lessons from those other projects and cross pollinate them into, you know, my main business or or other things. And I, I, I am so glad I've done that and not do the focus on one thing because I I would have missed a lot. There's actually a book that just came out. I have not read it, but I love the premise, um, which is that generalists will triumph in a specialized world because Although ever, specializations, all the rage, you basically put blinders on, you know, a lot about one thing, but nothing about anything else. And so we miss the opportunity to take a look broadly at what's going on in society and, and pick up trends and weave them into how we live our lives and structure our, our companies. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the generalist approach. I know it's not popular.
0: Well, sometimes the best things are not popular. And I That's think the true. beauty of what you just said is I'm okay with who I am. And what others think of me is really none of my business anyways. It has to do with what's going on with them. So we'll just let them have their own observations of that. But I'm going to stay in my lane and I'm going to do me and I'm going to do me really well. And everything else will work out okay around me.
1: That was a good reframe. I like that.
0: (laughs) Um, Okay. I am going to put all of your contact information in the show notes to your website and you have a lot of resources on your website. One of the things I want to tell our listeners about is you have the 21 question honesty quiz on your website. Can you tell us a little bit about that? They can go there, they can take it for free, but tell us a little bit about that so they can explore that. For themselves
1: yes so that's a free quiz i basically plucked out the 21 questions that span all the definitions uh, definitions of honesty from honest about community to others to self to how do you absorb news uh to what extent do you research data to what extent do you have control over your life to the people you surround yourself with and so on and so forth um and it basically sorts you into four honesty types um from innovator all the way down to straggler and it basically tells you but i think pretty Pretty good accuracy, though, you, though uh, people out there taking the quiz can disagree, how honest you really are uh, about your business and about your life. And when you uh, get that quiz, you also get the free workbook, the companion guide to Honest to Greatness, the book. Um, and it allows you to work through questions for your personal life. And there's also a section for your organization that you can take to your team and work through as a group. And I'm preparing now to do a lot of workshop facilitation around the book to help organizations use these concepts to you know, grow their profitability like crazy and just dominate their industry. That's, this is not an ethics book. I know it's about honesty. It is a make crap tons of money book. You know, I want people to be clear about that. I'm a capitalist too, right? MBA. <laughs> so. Well,
0: yeah. Yeah. uh, And thank you for that. And that's, that's brilliant and a very generous offer. So all of you out there, please click on the link to the website in the show notes and go take advantage of this beautiful resource that Peter's offered to us. And the book, Honest to Greatness comes out August 11th. Get your hands on a copy of that. It'll be a brilliant read for you. And then you have your companion workbook to go along with it. So Peter, What should I have asked you that I didn't?
1: I love that question because I ask it. I think the the big question is like, what's the first step, right? Um, I want folks out there to adopt two questions that they ask themselves 8,000 times a day, which is, is that true? And how do I know? Think about something great aunt Betty says on Facebook or a headline on the news or a thought you've had to yourself about, gee, I can't do that because I need to do this first. Is that true? And how do you know? Because so often you can catch yourself getting uh, emotionally involved in a headline or in a Facebook post, where really it's the time to step back and get curious about, oh, is that true? How do I know? Where can I research that further before I emotionally react to it? You can imagine that with thoughts in your head about, I can't start a business because I need to have a degree. And is that true? How can you find out? So often, if we can catch the lies, right? Self awareness is first, right? We know like the step program to overcome bad habits. Lying is a habit, it's a really bad addiction. And to break that, the number one step, we all know <laughs> self awareness, right? Admit you have a problem. So I find those two questions are ways that you can instantaneously in your life recognize where all the bullshit's creeping in and preventing you from understanding what's true and then moving forward from that place because let me tell you something right now honest you is very different than dishonest you so the the question is how do we get better at being honest you more of the time
0: that's I'm, i'm so glad that you said that and you brought that up as something i should have asked you because especially these days and and moving forward as you said earlier in our conversation there's so much information coming at us and so many distractions from the outer world it's really hard almost humanly impossible to filter through all of it so if you get if you what you've just given us this is really brilliant simple tool to use is that true how do i know all you have to do is put that as a filter in, uh, in front of everything that you inquire, or you learn, or you see, or you hear, and that gets you a long ways fast. It really does. Great. Well, thank you so much, Peter, for joining me today. I think this was a brilliant conversation. I know our listeners will get a, a lot out of it. Once again, you guys, Peter Kozade, his book comes out August 11th, Honest to Greatness. Make sure you get out there and get a copy of it. It's going to be available, I'm assuming, uh, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your website, lots of places. All you have to do is Google Everywhere it, go books get it. Are sold. That's right. And it'll be available in the Kindle format and the audio format.
1: So it's available Kindle uh, right away, audiobook rights for shopping right now. we got a couple exciting offers, um, okay. so we'll see which way that goes. And if you are an entrepreneur, if you're a business owner, go to petercausadoid.com bonus. I'm offering incredible bonuses, particularly for business owners when you buy three copies or more for your team, uh, all the way from past classes I've taught up to I will fly you and a companion. To Manhattan, take you out to a steak dinner, put you up in a luxury hotel, uh, and do an all full day workshop with you if you buy enough copies. So I've got tremendous value on that page.
0: Sounds like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go there the minute <laughs> we get off of this call.
1: <laughs> yeah, come hang out in New York. It'll be fun. Of course, Sounds maybe great. we have to delay to post COVID, but we'll we'll get it.
0: We'll get it there for sure. All right. Thanks, Peter. You have a great day.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Howdy, friends. This is Annie Fonte, and you are listening to the Badass Soul Seeking Warrior podcast. On each episode, I chat with a different guest and ask them to share their stories about what they were doing before they decided to redesign their life, what they're doing now, and how they navigated through the challenges and events in their life to get to where they are today. What realizations and transformations did they experience? What fears did they overcome? And ultimately, how did they create a life that they love?